Did you know that you can live a life that's even better than the highest rank your company has to offer? My name is Emily Gibson. I'm a master network marketer and a certified life coach. There is more beyond the rank. And if you're willing to go with me, I can show you how. Let's go. All right, everybody, welcome to the podcast this week. I have the most amazing guest here for you today, Adrienne Mann. She happens to be one of my BFFs from Master Coach Training, and she is one of the most brilliant people that I know. Let me just read to you her little like list of titles that I'm like, yep, uh-huh. I wish that all those things were next to my name. So get ready. Get Make sure you're sitting down for this. Okay. Not only is Adrienne Mann a master coach through the Life Coach School, like myself, but she is the assistant professor of medicine at the University of Colorado. She is the associate program director for the University of Colorado Internal Medicine Residency Program and the co-director of Better Together Physician Coaching, which she's going to tell you about a little bit later. She's like an actual medical doctor here, but not just a medical doctor. She's like the overachieving medical doctor that like runs all the doctors. And really what we just want to know, Adrian, is how much of Grey's Anatomy is actually true. Oh, what, what do you, do you want the truth? I want the truth. Tell me oh, everything. slim to none. <laughs> I mean, three to 5% max. Dang it. Dang it. Listen, it's been probably seven years since I've watched that show, but man, I loved that show when it came out. And when my oldest was a baby, we found this onesie that said McDreamy, Mr. McDreamy on it. And he wore that little onesie. It was my favorite onesie that he had. It was so cute. (laughs) But yeah, man, I feel like that show was so good in the beginning. And then it just sort of like, I lost interest in it after time. And now I'm pretty sure it's like still going. I haven't watched it since probably college. When you were in college, like when you were going through medical, like was it when you were going through medical school? Was it on? Yeah. And were you like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a doctor. Like, look, these are such cool doctors. No. No, it's so funny. Like, I think I decided I wanted to be a doctor when I was probably like 10 or 12. And I think ER was really big at that time. So (gasps) I definitely wanted to be an emergency room physician. And I thought my life was going to look a lot like ER, which sometimes it actually has. So um, that one was a little bit more. So now, right now, what, like you go to work, you're in a hospital, tell us what you do. And then you guys, you're in for such a treat because what Adrienne is specializing in what her, she's going to share with us her research about everything she knows about emotional exhaustion and burnout. And she has all this incredible research to share with us about how coaching can help you through that. But I just want to dive into Adrian for a minute here because I adore her so much. So you go to work and are you like in scrubs? Like show, paint us the picture. That's what matters most is what am I wearing to work? Yeah. Um, Yes. No. So clinically my work is as a hospitalist. And so that means I take care of adult people who are admitted to the hospital for things that are non-surgical. And I like, what would that be? So if you have pneumonia or a heart attack or a stroke, or um, you have sepsis from some infection in your body, or maybe a cancer, 
and your treatment needs to happen inside a hospital is the type of work that I do. And I do my clinical work at the veterans hospital here in Denver. So I love my patients and it's really fulfilling and meaningful work. Um, My other roles are that I supervise the education of many resident physicians. So people who she's have, in charge of bossing around all the doctors because she's that good of a doctor. That's what she's saying. She's like, I'm the biggest, best doctor. And so I get to train all the doctors. I get to help them. Yeah. So these are people who've graduated from medical school. They have an MD, but they're in training to become physicians who practice internal medicine or a specialty like that. So in um, ER, what character are you? Or in Grey's Anatomy, oh. what character are you? I don't know. You remember their names enough? Like you're like the one that's in charge. Like, are you Bailey when she was like in charge of all the doctors? But I, well, I feel like she was a surgeon though. And I'm not a surgeon. Okay. 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 This is fun. This'd be a fun game to play. It's like, it's like in the hospital. Okay. Here's who it is. It's like scrubs. Did you watch scrubs? I never watched scrubs. Oh, that's fine. Just talk. I'm sure there's other listeners who have watched scrubs. All right. So I'm like the attending, um, on, um, scrubs. The kind of grouchy guy, but I'm not grouchy. I'm very <laughs> No, you're the opposite of grouchy. Most pleasant have... person ever. Um, and let's see, what do I wear? Um, my hospital is very long, has long, long hallways. And so I wish I I had given up on wearing heels um when we moved to our new hospital a couple of years ago. But I try to look cute. And, and I mean, so... this is like for those of you that obviously you're not going to get to see what Adrian looks like, but she, well, yes, you will, because there's, there'll be a picture of her on the podcast, but she is like my soul sister, Nordstrom loving shopper. Like, look at these cute shoes with sparkles on them. And don't we love fashion and curling our hair and extensions and makeup and skin peels. Like she is a girly, girly doctor. And I love this about you. Like, I love it so much. And I got, I stopped wearing heels when I was pregnant with my first son almost 15. Well, yeah, 15 years ago. So it hurt my back. I can't do it. It's hard, man. I mean, it's a wedge for me or nothing. Hey, this is fine. These are decisions. It's just fine. It's just fine. We're all good. Okay. So you're also a mom. Uh Uh-huh. How many kids do you have? I've got two. My nine-year-old Amelia is at school. My five-year-old Charlotte is sitting right behind me. Um, (laughs) On her iPad. <laughs> she's home today because she got her COVID booster and her flu shot, and she's still feeling a little crummy. She got like, you well, know, there you go. She's not feeling great. But there you go. He's here. So, and you, you're married mm-hmm. for how long? I, Tell us about it. Let's see. We're very interested in you, Adrian. We want to know all the things. Thanks. Um, I think this is our 13th or 14th anniversary in December. Um, my husband, Scott, is a uh, ear, nose, and throat head and neck surgeon. So he... Um, I don't think I ever knew this, that you were married to a doctor. Yeah. Look at this. A doctor family. That's yeah. Like so we're both so working. Exciting. We're doing so amazing. our best for two kids. Now, before we get into your research about emotional exhaustion and burnout and all of that, We have a lot of moms here, listeners on the podcast, who sometimes struggle with mom guilt Mm -hmm. and being a working mom or being a stay-at-home mom that works. And I know that you have been a working mom your whole life. So tell us about that. Like, tell us about all of that. I'm happy to. If there was noise that y'all just heard, that was my um 
my daughter. All right. So, um, this is, this is real mom. mom life. When kids get up and flush the toilet in the middle of a podcast that you're recording, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. So yeah, mom guilt. I think here's what I've learned about mom guilt is it exists for all of us. And, um, so I have it because I have thoughts that I should be home more. My friends who primarily are raising children and not working outside the home have it because they think they should maybe be working outside the home. So I've had conversations with a lot of my friends where it's clear that no matter what our arrangement is, we, I think because of our socialization, um, have applied guilt to ourselves for whatever, yeah. regardless of the thing. And so I, I haven't solved it for myself, but I'm exploring how it might be more optional than I've previously believed. You know, I was listening to an interview years and years and years ago. I think it was maybe five years ago that Rachel Hollis did mm-hmm. that she, and I'm not like a huge Rachel Hollis fan. Sorry for those of you that are obsessed, but I just, I mean, it's great. She's great, but I'm not a big, huge like follower. I just, I don't even know how I found this this podcast that she did, but it stuck with me as one of my favorite things that I've ever heard from her before. And she said that like she was in, I believe she was in Africa and she was talking to mothers there. And they said, they said to her, like, what is the biggest struggle of American women? And she said, mom guilt. Working moms feel so guilty for either making money or for making money while raising their children. And the woman said to her, oh my gosh, I would give anything to be able to make money to support my family. If I could even be allowed to do that, if I had the opportunity to do that, it would be my life's greatest achievement. And Rachel talked about how like, look at the stark difference. And when you said socialization, that's immediately where I went is it is a total socialization thing, right? Because we have so much, we take it for granted in some ways. I don't know. What are you thinking about all that? Yeah. I'm thinking that it's kind of like the grass is greener idea that like, oh, if I were doing it this other way, I wouldn't feel guilty. But I just know that that's probably not true because I've done it a bunch of different ways and I've felt guilty all the time. And so I think that the thing to actually explore isn't how I can change my job or what proportion of my work is outside or inside the home or whatever, but change how I'm relating to that idea. And if your listeners know the thought model, we know that it's like, it's not the fact that I work outside the home or I don't work outside the home that creates my experience of guilt. It's my thoughts that I'm doing it wrong that creates my guilt. And so- I'm leaning in a little bit more to the idea that like, I'm actually often a better mom for me. My experience of parenting is better for me and probably also for my kids when I'm doing work um, that is fulfilling to me in other ways. Now that doesn't have to be true for every. Mm-hmm. For everybody. I mean, each of our work is fulfilling in different ways. But for me, I show up as the best mom when I'm also spending my time meaningfully engaged in service as a physician in helping doctors become more well. And that's my passion outside of these two. Well, and it's kind of interesting because I remember when I was a stay-at-home mom and that was all that I did, I would feel so guilty. Like you said, there's guilt either way. And I would feel guilty if I let my kids watch too much TV or if I 
wasn't getting the laundry done by the day that I set in my mind that it needed to be done or, you know, whatever it was, like I didn't make all the beds on one day or like the things that were important to me then that I could care less about now. I don't even know what my kids' bedrooms look like. They're downstairs. I try not to go down there. It's a lot easier when you don't have to manage your mind around these things to not be bothered by them. Right. So it's, it's just, it is really fascinating to me to sort of explore that whole thing and how we, how we relate to it really does create our whole experience. And I love, I love that Rachel Hollis story because it puts everything into perspective really quickly as an American woman that we have the opportunities that we have that not necessarily people have all over the world. And, and us feeling so badly for taking advantage of those opportunities where someone else would feel so grateful. It all is determined by what we think about it. Right. Yeah. And I can get really up on a soapbox about it. Because yeah. like somebody benefits from me feeling guilty and it's not me and it's not my kids. So when I think about it that way, I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like there's some machine, someone else somewhere is making money. I'm buying things. You know, something is happening because of my guilt that's not benefiting me. And so when I see it that way, I'm like, whoa, I'm going to stop giving those people my money. Like I don't have to feel guilty. Yeah. Be an authority. <laughs> Yeah. I've never thought about it in that way before. Yeah. We could probably do like three different episodes all about this and write a book and all those things. Like we could really dive in, but we'll just have to put a pin in that for another day because what I am so excited for you to share with the, with our listeners today is everything that you have done in your research and your passion for helping specifically physicians, but how it really applies to all of us understand emotional exhaustion, burnout, and how we can essentially heal ourselves from it. So tell us everything. Tell us why you leaned into this, why it's a passion of yours and, you know, all the beautiful things you found. You got it. Okay. So, um, I consider myself a approval addict and a perfectionist who is constantly seeking recovery in those things. Um, I, you know, if I look back at my relationship with accomplishment, it has been heavy throughout my life. Like I'm a person who did well in school. I, you know, we wanted to be your lab partner well. is what you're saying. We wanted to be your partner in chemistry and physics. I was a good lab partner. Yeah. I bet you were. And so I know how to like see the goal that's defined outside of me and then hustle after it and get it. And I have applied that technique to success um, in a lot of ways. And what happened to me, so um, my kind of experience with burnout and what I'm using the term burnout, I'm referring to it in the way that's described by Maslach. And I'll send you the um, the link to this if you want to include it in your show yeah. notes. But basically, it encompasses three different domains. It's emotional exhaustion. So that's the idea that like, oh my God, I have nothing else to give. Anyone here experiencing emotional exhaustion on the podcast? Right. Okay, perfect. Did everyone just raise their hands? Everyone's like, yep. Us. Oh, that's me. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So <laughs> emotional exhaustion is a big one that happens to physicians. There's depersonalization, which is when we look to people that we're engaging with and we like dehumanize them in some way, right? Where it's just like, oh, that where we like fail to see humanity, I think, in people we're working with. Like, what would that look like if we were like, oh, she's just superhuman. I could never do what she's doing, no. like a comparison so, thing or in medicine, it's like, oh, the pneumonia patient in room two. Ah. 
right? It's like, oh, no, no, no. That's the human being in room two who has pneumonia, right? Got Does it. That sense? Yes, totally. So depersonalization is the second one. And then feelings of reduced personal accomplishment is the third domain of burnout. And so that's kind of like, no matter what I do, I'm not enough. I like, why am I even doing this? I just want to give up. So those are the three domains of of burnout as described by Maslach. And we know that in medicine, and I'm sure in other fields, this has been studied as well, women and um, people of color experience burnout to a greater degree than their age match peers in other demographics. So why my, my husband has never experienced burnout is what you're saying ever. Not he, once he in his whole life. He has experienced burnout. Maybe, maybe, I don't know. He's pretty even killed. I'm like, where did you come from? What is this? <laughs> they do. Men do experience burnout, but I think the, the proportion of women who have experienced burnout is higher than the proportion of men who have experienced burnout. And we experience it at greater rates. So a greater percentage of us at any given time. So um, my experience with burnout had a couple dips of it during medical training, but it really hit me after I finished my training and I um, took my first real job. And that for me was the time where like, I just stopped getting feedback. And like, as an approval addict who just, somebody says jump and I say how high, it dramatically changed when I became in charge of myself. And when there was no more external proof that I was doing good enough. Mm. And so at this time I had taken on a big leadership position. I was doing some educational work. We were going through IVF and trying to conceive our second kid. I had gained a ton of weight because, um, I, for for many reasons, but primarily because I don't, I didn't at the time have tools or awareness that I was eating to avoid feeling things like inadequacy or guilt or shame, you know, the mom guilt that we were talking about. Yeah. So I, um, I, let's see, had a real struggle right at that time and hit a dark phase. And the way out of that for me was through coaching. And so I hired a woman who coaches women physicians in weight loss, Dr. Katrina Ubel, and had a mind-blowing experience of like learning so many things that I thought I needed to know. I should have known this all before. And so- Why should you have known it all before, Adrian? Tell us. (laughs) I just think my experience of medical school and training could have been so different if I had known about my own responsibility to myself. Mm -hmm. Hold on a second for me. Oh, it's fine. Don't worry. Mom life, kid life, all the humans that we live in the house with all together. Adrienne's just telling everyone to not talk because she's recording a very professional podcast right now full of moms that have this very same thing happen to them all the time. So don't you worry. (laughs) Hi again. Hi. Okay. So basically what I think I needed to know or what I think would have maybe made my experience of medical training different was the idea that like I'm actually responsible for my experience in my work and that by outsourcing my opinion of myself to the evaluations I get or, you know, the opinions of other people. External outside of you. We like so many of us seek for that. We want approval from others to be able to give ourselves permission to believe those things about ourselves. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's why I love 
recognition so much. That was something that I uncovered (laughs) when Krista, one of our instructors in master coach training, we had one-on-ones with them throughout our six months. And Krista coached me. And on the very first call, I was like, yeah, you know, um, I was telling a story about something and she's like, what are you thinking when you're on stage? That, cause I was like, I just love recognition. I don't know why she's like, what do you allow yourself permission to think when you're on stage? And I was like, everybody loves me. She goes, interesting. How does that feel? And I was like, love. She's like, "Mm, what do you Mm -hmm. think that's about? I'm like, oh yeah. So that's the only time where I give myself permission for unconditional love. It would make perfect sense why I always seek it. Oh, but that's not unconditional, right? It's conditional on everybody else's opinion. Exactly. But in my mind, in that yeah. moment, that's only when I'm allowed to give that unconditional love when Whoa. everyone else. And, and the funny thing is she's like, yeah. And isn't it crazy? Because like, when you're on that stage, you know, there's people, some people that are just like, I don't like her. <laughs> she doesn't deserve that or whatever, but I don't ever think about those people. I'm always like, no, everybody loves me. But notice how, how all of that external validation is actually what ended up being more unnecessary pain and suffering to myself by believing that at any time, really, because building it from within is the only thing that really gives you that result that you want, which is unconditional love for self, no matter what. Yeah. So, so I like, you know, found coaching. It changed my relationship with my work. It changed my relationship with myself. It changed my relationship with my husband, with my kids as a parent, as a child, like as a daughter of, you know, my parents. Um, so I thought I want to create, I want to bring coaching to medical education. So I want to offer something like what I received and paid a lot of money for to people who are in training to become physicians or in training as physicians who are working 80 hours a week, who are not making a ton of money and who really could experience a different thing than I did by having these resources. So um, a colleague of mine from medical school, Dr. Tyra Feinstad, um, who also got certified as a coach. We both applied for some small grants within our university and we built a group coaching program and that coaching program is called Better Together. And we, you know, in medicine, the currency of the realm is evidence, is like scholarship, is randomized control trials, is data. And coaching has been studied in medicine before. And most of the time that coaching has been studied, it's like one-on-one coaching. And so we wanted to see, gosh, can we help more people with one coach in a group setting than we can with one-on-one coaching? And we know based on prior literature that coaching does help in um physicians to reduce burnout. And so we sought to kind of see, okay, great. Can we replicate that, but on a much bigger scale? And so we sent some emails out to the people who were training at our institution um, who identify as women, and we invited them to participate in our group coaching program. We thought we would get 10 or 20 folks to sign up. A hundred women signed up. Wow. Which was everyone walking around feeling like crap and nobody talking about it. If that's not the example of that, I don't know what is. It's exactly. It's all those like silent. You remember heads up seven up? Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Best game ever. And it's like, raise your hand if you, you know, have lost your compass and you feel burnt out and you don't know what you're doing anymore. And like a hundred people immediately raise their hand. Yeah. Yeah. And so what we did and how, why this is a study and why this is different than just like 
a survey, you know, after a program is that we took those hundred women and split them up into two groups randomly. So a random number generator said you're in group one, group two, group one, group two for everybody. Like this and is like a legitimate study, you guys. Yeah, this it's is science. the real deal. It's science. Weird <laughs> science. Go ahead. <laughs> so we had everybody, all 100 people took a big survey when they enrolled in the study. And the study looked at the Maslach burn, burnout index. That's the thing I was telling you about before. We looked at- We'll include that in the show notes, everyone. Totally. They looked at, we looked at self-compassion. So the extent at which we offer compassion to ourselves or our participants did. We look at imposter syndrome um, and we looked at moral injury. And so there's validated tools that we use to assess that. But everybody took that survey at the beginning. They were randomized into one of two groups. And then the first group got our coaching program, which at the time was six months long. Um, And this was from January through June of 2021. So middle of the pandemic, folks were not doing great. And then at the end of six months, everybody took the survey again. So half of them had gotten the program, half of them had not gotten the program. And it was dramatic. So in the group who did not get the coaching program, burnout got worse in Mm -hmm. every domain. So emotional exhaustion was worse. People were depersonalized. They were seeing their patients not as humans, but as just a name on a page. Um, They were having terrible low self-compassion. They felt like imposters in their work. Like everything got worse in the group who didn't get coaching. Mm -hmm. And in the group who did get coaching, we had a dramatic and statistically significant improvement in emotional exhaustion and a curative reduction in imposter syndrome. So what would that mean? This metric. Um, what this means, so what statistically significant means, and I don't need to go in too much about that, but that the change we saw is very, 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 very unlikely to be due to chance. So what we can say uh-huh. is that the coaching intervention is likely the reason for the improvement in these things. Got it. And um, what about the depersonalization part? Um, we didn't see statistical significance in that, but there was a trend towards improvement mm. in that. Yeah, I was thinking about how those of us that are in network marketing or social selling, like yours was they're not seeing their patients as people. A lot of times we don't see our clients as people. We see them as a number or a point in our back office that we just need one person to order. Why can't they order? Like what is wrong with them? Like get the order in. Don't you know I need my rank? Can you believe they turn off their order? Like totally depersonalizes them, dehumanizes them in the same exact way. That is a perfect example. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Okay. So they did it for six months. They saw noticeable changes that were enough that scientifically you could prove that the coaching was what made the difference. And then what? And then because we love all of our participants, we offered the coaching program to the group who hadn't gotten it. So we didn't leave anybody out, but we wanted to understand why. And this was all free to your participants. Like there are rules and stipulations around doing controlled trials and you did it exactly how it needed to be so that you could prove and have your evidence in all of this, which is just, yeah, is just such an incredible thing that you've done and you use scholarships to pay for everything, right? That's what That's what you said. Yeah, Yeah, grants and scholarships. Yeah, so a free service to our participants. So we made sure that the control group or the group who didn't get it during those first six months got coaching the second 
uh, second half of the year. Um, but we wanted to know what was it about our coaching program that that made a difference. And I think this is what will be really important for your listeners. So we invited all the participants to do an interview with our research team. And 17 women um, raised their hands and signed up for that and did a one-hour interview. And it's exactly like, I don't know if your listeners listen to Brene Brown, but how yeah. Brene is talking about her research team and they do yeah. a bunch of interviews. And then there's this process by which we go through and we look at the transcript and see like, what are the themes that are coming up from these interviews? So it's more than just like, I liked it because of this. We look at all of the transcript and see what, what themes came out. And there was three things that came out. The first theme was that the tool that we use for coaching that we call the model, and I think your listeners are familiar yes, with Yes, they model. know the model, CTFAR. They are well-trained in the model. Perfect. Of course they are. <laughs> They're your listeners. So um, the model helps people and they apply it immediately in their lives, in their relationships, in their work, um, in their relationship to themselves. It is like a portable, immediate use tool that helps them address things like burnout, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, perfectionism, um, that they loved it. So this was huge for us. I mean, it's not huge for me and you, like we knew that the model was going to be huge, yeah. but it's yeah. a big deal for in the medical literature. Cause it, and it's a big deal to be able to prove that with research that the model is capable of doing that because there are there is a lot of criticism to the model that it's all made up. Um, I've had people say things like thought coaching, it, like you could essentially like uh, justify murder with thought coaching or like, you know, all these things. And I'm like, no, you don't understand the model if that's what mm -hmm. you think. That's absolutely not what it is. That's why I'm such an advocate for people going through coach training because you don't understand the model as far as how to help someone through with it until you've been certified in it. Now you can use the model and tell, teach people about the model in your life and, you know, help your, help your friend and, and help your kids understand things. But when you actually have clients that you're working with and, and knowing how to navigate that with them, like it, it's, it, it's so impactful when it's used in the way that it was intended to be used. Yeah. And for our participants, like it's important for us not to use it to beat ourselves up. Like we never use the model to justify treating ourselves poorly. Mm -hmm. um, so that was obvious to us that that one was going to be a theme, but there were two other things that came out that um, were huge. And this is specific to group coaching and why group coaching we think is so much more powerful than one-on-one -on -one coaching. Um, and one of the things that we saw was that our participants felt connected, even in the middle of a pandemic, even when we weren't seeing each other the way we normally see each other, they felt connected even on a Zoom webinar where they didn't know who else was there. They were in the audience with like no concept of who else was on the call, but in seeing themselves reflected in other people, felt connection. And that is huge. Incredible. It's huge. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. Like, what does that mean to you to have that research and to see that come through in your participants? I mean, to me, that's that's proof of the idea that like connection can exist because of the way I'm thinking about myself and the way I'm thinking about other people. Like I could be alone in my office on a Zoom call and feel connected to someone I don't even know because I see parts of myself in them. As that you may not even be talking to. You're just listening right. to them get coached by someone in the group. And people always say this all the time. Can I please just hire you as a private coach? Yes, I have that on my website now, but don't. 
Like yeah, don't come and do my group coaching because group coaching does this thing for you that you have no idea what it's going to do for you. It changes every area in your life because it's yeah. so transformative. And I love that you have research now that proves it. Yeah. So all and of I you mean, that are like, oh, I can't afford a private coach. Good news for you. You don't have to go find a coaching program. That's a group coaching and it's going to revolutionize your life in these three ways that Adrian has proven with medical scientific research work. It's so good. So yeah, the the community bit was huge. And I think like, I can't say enough, like we're not coaching all about medicine. Like folks bring for coaching. My mother-in-law is coming to town and I am, she's judging my parenting all the time. Right. Yes. So like we'll coach on literally anything. And same, like oh. in my community, it's like, it's for, you know, like network marketers, social sellers, but also we talk about like, I overeat yeah. and I, I want to lose 30 pounds. Or we talk about like my, my daughter that is my teenage daughter that I struggle with. And how do I navigate a cell phone with them and smartphones and grades and all these things? Like it's, it's everything in your life. Yeah. And so I think the power of group is that like, you could be in a different state. You could be at a different like rank in your scenario. Like for us, I'm coaching neurosurgeons and I'm coaching pediatricians and like, we're experiencing the same things in our brain. So that's powerful. Then the third thing we found was that our program is, has potential for anonymity and asynchrony. So what that means is that if folks can't attend live, they could watch later. Folks could write in for coaching um, anonymously on our Ask for Coaching page. And we have like self-study modules. And so it was really important for folks to be able to engage in those different ways um, that work for them. And we think, and we're studying this now, that there's probably a dose effect, like probably the more you're engaging, the more benefit you have. Mm. But there were people who we interviewed who never were coached live, yep. never raised their hands, maybe just watched some calls or maybe read our emails or maybe watched a couple modules. But even those people had improvement in their scores. I mean, that's just incredible. And it just, I mean, that that's what I tell my clients all the time, right? Too. But it's just so fun to hear that someone has studied it and researched it and then has like, no, it's a thing. You're not just saying that because you're trying to get clients. Like it's an actual thing. You can just come to the program, listen to a call or two, and it will transform your entire life. Yeah. Tell everyone because <laughs> everybody needs a coach and a coach, a group coaching program, not just a private coach. I mean, have one if you need one, if you want one, if you feel like this right for you, but to be in a group coaching program is just so incredible. So uh. I'll just say like, it's, there's an ask, right? Like there's an ask of your group. Like we have to have psychological safety in our group. Like we have to believe that what we talk about in this space is sacred. And that's a key part of our agreement with our participants. Right. And I'm sure that's what you create in your group yeah. too, because it's an ask to bring your full self to a group of people you don't know, but the return on investment of that is like beyond life-changing. Yeah. Life-changing. Adrian, thank you so much for sharing your research with us. It's like so fascinating to me. And I know that so many of our listeners are going to feel the same way, but such a pleasure to get to know you and to see your passions and the difference that you're making in the world by just 
giving back in this way for women in general, not just women in the physician arena, but how this truly moves all of us forward to find ways to help us. So thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. Where can our listeners find you if they want to look you up or check out your program? Tell us. Perfect. Um, Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. Folks can find um, me at bettertogetherphysiciancoaching.com or on Instagram at BT and the number four GME. There we go. That's where you find her. Go find Adrian. You will love watching all of her physician travels. She's always in a new conference. Usually like it's either Nashville or Florida. Like she's somewhere sunny when it's rain, when it's like snowing here in Utah, I found recently. So I'm always like living vicariously, but now she's in Colorado and it's snowing out loud, snowing outside. So she, we're on equal weather grounds as of right now. Thanks for being with us here, Adrian and everyone on the podcast. Hope you have a beautiful Thanksgiving week. I'm I'm so thankful for you and that I get to be your coach and serve you in this way. Happy Thanksgiving. Bye now. Who is your life coach? If you don't have one, I would be so honored to be your coach. I've created a virtual program called Beyond the Rank that I want to invite you to join me in. We can address challenges, we can work on goals, and we can do it in so many different ways. We have group coaching, individual private coaching, and hundreds of hours of online courses and content that I'm creating just for you. When you're ready to take what you're learning on the podcast to the 10X level, then come check out Beyond the Rank at emilygibsoncoaching.com.